This is the Suno India production and you are listening to Cyber Democracy. With COVID and lockdown, there has been a push towards using technology. Employers are pushing surveillance systems as employees work from home or gig workers that is your average swiggy delivery persons or the amazon delivery boys body temperature are being monitored by platforms hi welcome to cyber democracy i'm vaishali a reporter for suno india this and the next two episodes will focus on various aspects like labor governance and automation of work with artificial intelligence when using technology for surveillance purposes in this episode the host rinivas kodali spoke with aditi suri a social science researcher at the Indian Institute of Human Settlements IIHS her work mainly focuses on the gig economy like platforms uber and ola where she is looking at how these platforms impact urban workers and what's happening in terms of the discourse around the gig economy she speaks about the people who are working to make our e platforms function smoothly along with the technological interventions all along their way this episode and the next two are based on a webinar conducted by suno india in partnership with the internet freedom foundation and youth ki awaaz on labor rights to understand employee surveillance post covid among other topics to understand the issue of labor and to understand the uh, the intersections of technology and labor we must actually understand how even technology is produced right like technology is being produced because some money is actually putting in labor it's because programmers in hyderabad or bangalore or elsewhere in us are actually putting in effort that this form of technology is produced i mean if you look at the current platform which which the call is being posted on it's called a big blue button and there are a bunch of programmers who have put in the labor to actually produce this and they chose to make this available for everyone else so that's a decision on how you can sell your labor uh, whether you can profit from it whether you want to give it out for everyone else for the betterment of the world it's a choice that each of us make every day uh but the private companies who have figured out how they can use this technology to essentially use the labor force in a efficient way or that's that's for the marketing that they use or in a smarter way right like the word smart cities which is a marketing term that IBM effectively uses so you have this whole evolution of the platform economy where the traditional markets uh, which were physical in nature where you could go ask for work or where you could go trade and buy have transitioned online uh, with this new form of platform economy and platforms like uber ola or any of the other food delivery companies are essentially trying to be that marketplace where you can buy and somebody else is selling the goods but in doing all of this they have essentially centralized labor and they consistently monitor how each of these individuals whether you as a buyer whether the seller or even the middleman right essentially whom they call partners and they will not call them their employees but they are their executives or partners whether it's drivers or whether you're delivery guys they are consistently monitoring statistics of each of these individuals and how they fare and they they're doing this to ensure that they get the maximum out of these people essentially a form of exploitation if that's the word i would use but at the same time it makes a lot of business sense if i have to take this whole cyberpunk view i think that's what it is it's we are in a state of world where things are bad maybe we should be actually be an opportunist as some of these companies are doing 
I am taking this position because we are in this post-COVID world where survival has suddenly become important and we don't know what people can do or want to do, right? So it's everyone, especially in the cyberpunk community, essentially is saying that be probabilistic, right? Don't be rational anymore. All the rational ideas have changed. Uh, We are in this world of uncertainty, so you have to be very probabilistic. And essentially, these platforms are probabilistic with their algorithms, you don't know how they behave. It's a probability sometimes that you could be lucky that you get a slot on these, you could get a cab or you could get to get food at a cheaper price or at a higher price, but it's all essentially probabilistic. So I'm going to let Aditi start explaining us how this platform economy works and what, how is it affecting the gig workers, and we will move on. I'm Aditi. Suri and I'm a researcher and faculty at the Indian Institute for Human Settlements, Bangalore. Coming to, you know, what the world we're living in right now, which is that most national and international responses to the COVID-19 pandemic uh, have been to lock down physical movement and restrain us from physical retail and, and restrain us from how we consume services and products. So now more than ever, we're seeing more dependence on platforms and their services. And equally, since there have been some of the only services and companies being allowed to run over the last two months in the Indian lockdown, a lot of these uh, people, delivery people who do this work, have been thrust into very dangerous working conditions, right? And that's really why we're here to talk about this today is, is to see, is it emblematic of things to come? And what can we really draw out of the experiences of these companies and these delivery people as we move into what the post-lockdown uh, world looks like? The health and safety of delivery people, runners, and what happens to them if they're sick with COVID has become more than a fair of their personal matters. It's been more than just a corporate matter for platform companies. It's become the matter and talk of customers, people like us who buy off platforms. So the health and hygiene of these delivery people has become something that companies are marketing to us to make us want to consume from their platforms more. At a time when the platforms have premiated a lot of our own existence and have a hand in creating certain kinds of digital culture, it is also important to focus on the labor that work for it. Can you tell us about some major issues that the labor faces? So we see our behavior and interactions shaped by the way, say, social media companies allow us to relate to each other. Uh, And platforms have an almost fully free hand in shaping and structuring the way we interact with each other when we use their services. So when you imagine what that means uh, as an implication of someone who spends their day working off a platform, so an Uber driver, Dunzo runner, the same logic applies, right? So platforms, uh, companies have very clear rules uh, for how a delivery person or runner interacts with customers. There are certain expectations in terms of quality of service, the timeliness of it. And often these expectations are very clear and have grave repercussions for if they aren't followed through. And often these rules uh, that are set by platforms can appear very arbitrary to people who work on them. Uh, So, for example, uh, over the last few years, we've seen a spate of protests across the country by Ola and Uber drivers, Mato and Swiggy delivery people, because uh, how much they earn every day can vary day by day, week to week and over the months. Uh, And while all of us face some kind of fluctuation in our earnings, uh, they're not given any form of stability in in what that payment is. 
Uh, so one of the main concerns that we've seen in the protests that have been coming up in the protests is that, you know, uh, delivery people were told they can earn a particular amount. And once they started wor- working, they learned that platforms dropped these earnings. And the platform company had a single-handed power in changing what that income offering was. And the fact that there's very little two-way communication between, say, people who work off platforms, delivery people, drivers, etc., and the platform companies is a really worrying fact if you think about the idea of dignity of labor or what it means just to work for someone who refuses to listen to you and, in fact, designs a space where you're not allowed to speak back. So if you think about what it means to, say, work in a small shop in a market where you can mill about, meet people, pick up information about your work compared to other people's work, In an app, when you work with an app interface, there are very few interactions and very few interaction buttons that let you actually do that. And most of the delivery people and platform service providers I'm talking about today, the ones who work on Ola, Uber, Swiggy, Danzo, Zomato, don't have physical workspaces. So they actually lack any kind of physical space that they would meet in like an office space or a market shop. Um, and so platforms have a very crucial and singular hand in structuring how people work of their economic uh, interactions. Now, up top, this is a crucial factor uh, because platform firms, like Srinivas was mentioning up in his introduction, do the work of matchmaking. In their kind of logic of the world, they set up a system where my needs as a customer and your needs as a service provider are efficiently brought together, carried out in a very routine, systematic way. And this systemization and routineness of a service kind of allows them to call themselves intermediaries. So they allow themselves to play the role of an orchestra conductor uh, rather than an owner of a set of things. And, and they'll, you know, they'll tell customers what a delivery should look like. They'll tell delivery people in which ways to conduct a service. And they have a lot of control over the way these economic transactions are set up. Uh, and what the companies then do is they offer a technological infrastructure to do this. So an app that works, the back-end calculations that match a closest driver to the closest rider. So that means this is where a lot of investments go in for creating these systems and automating the management. And it's the point about the role of platforms in governing economic interactions that create a huge challenge for labor rights and the dignity of labor for service providers. Can you tell us more about it? So you have a company that creates, uh, dictates and structures economic interactions, but used to see it as commerce rather than labor. The idea about what's being valued in these interactions is really what's in question. Uh, you know, is the automated matching of the closest Ola auto more valuable or is it the fact that once the matching is done, you actually have a driver show that does the service of taking you somewhere from point A to point B. And so platforms toy with this idea of value so much that they've decided that none of the people that conduct the services on the platforms deserve to have their labor valued in the sense of giving them employment. And a fact that's mentioned in reports, court proceedings and scholarly work is that of course, platform servers, be it Uber drivers or Swiggy runners, don't get full employment. That's employment that has certain kinds of security, that has a long duration, where if you're uh, chucked out of a job, you have a certain uh, level of legal stance to actually take that up with courts. And you don't have income security where you know exactly what you'll earn and it comes to you every month. And a lot of about full employment is, is a way to think about stability and risk. Right? And, and who bears stability and risk and where the responsibilities of a worker being able to have some kind of stability given to them. So, and the idea behind this is really what frames a lot of industrial relations in labor laws, right? If you live a settled life, you're expected to be able to plan for your household, to have a future in mind, to be able to work towards a future 
to grow your savings and up the things that you're buying. And a part of that settled life is a good job that gives you a stable idea of what you will give up as a worker and what you will get back in return as a worker. And platform companies say that they're clearly keeping themselves out of this kind of a formulation, which has been really the formulation of most other work opportunities. Because again, what they say is they only offer to be a matchmaker and to offer a market connectivity, right? And industrial labor and policy control and supervision are two factors that would determine whether someone is employer or not. And as, as I've been kind of explaining to you, platforms have a very clear hand in control and supervision mean on their on their platforms. So. Uh, world over, we've seen take up this matter, deciding what a company like Uber is, what the drivers are, and so on. Um, and so the result of these court matters vary place by place because not all places are made the same and don't have the same ethics that govern them. Right? So say the political economy of Bangalore, where I work, is not the same of San Francisco, no matter how many arguments we make about the likeness of the two cities because of the tech industries. So in India, some of our courts have tried to look at this question, uh, and there was a Delhi-based union in 2017 that petitioned the Delhi High Court to look into regulating their work conditions, and the courts ended up passing this on to the Labor Tribunal, and you know, it's 2020, it's been three years, and we haven't heard any positive moves on this part. The Indian economy before COVID had a sense of growth and had a certain set of aspirations that were born with this growth. On one hand, there is the issue of governance. On the other hand, there's also the question of how equipped the laborers are. Does that mean their educational background doesn't have an impact on what they earn or what they can ask for? Um, And while there have been significant improvements in education in many states, not too long ago, most adult workers had no formal schooling and hence no hope of formal employment, whether in the public or private sector. Now, increasingly, we are seeing highly educated people with very few permanent jobs to get into. And the number of decent, stable, well-paying jobs uh, have not kept up with the number of people that are entering the labor market, let alone accommodate those who are in culture moving into cities or those who are leaving more traditional occupations to find better employment in cities. And so about 15% of Indian workers have regular salary jobs, like the full employment I was talking about before. And about 67% of Indian households report a monthly income of less than 10,000. So in this context, the platform forms a very important source of employment growth or work opportunities. And we have seen that several on-demand hyperlocal platforms have been battling it out for competition and for profit in our cities. At this point, what kind of investments are made into these platforms? And there's a large amount of uh, investment going into this. About a third of all investment into the consumer internet is going into hyperlocal platforms. Just kind of give you an example. So Swiggy released a statement last year indicating that they aim to become the country's third largest employer, you know, trying to take its delivery for workforce strength up to 5 lakh right after the Indian Army. Currently, it's estimated there are about you know, 15 to 20 lakh people working on hyperlocal platforms. And this is, of course, pre-COVID data that I'm giving you just to give you a sense of how big and how small this, this set of people are. And in terms of work size, it has been as large considering, say, the demographic strength of domestic workers, which come in at about 5 million in the country. But what these companies are doing is that they are trying to create more legitimacy around their offerings and about their own position as intermediaries by proactively creating partnerships with state governments and the central government. And we've seen several of these play out through MOUs for employment uh, generation, and, and we've seen it in across a number of states with different political backings, Assam, Rajasthan, Karnataka, West Bengal, Haryana, and Punjab, and with states with significant tourist belts that are 
finding opportunistic partnerships with these with these companies and even you know the national urban livelihoods mission has tied up with companies like urban company and urban clap and house joy to provide minimum wage jobs for people that are leaving skilling programs that are run by the state so you're increasingly seeing an integration of platforms for the work they offer with an acceptance from the state about the work offering so really the question of looking at whether uh, delivery people are are able to have labor rights through full employment are slowly slowly being degraded even more this kind of follows through into the changes in labor law that we've seen taking place over the last few years so this government has tried to take you know a set of over 100 labor laws that we have across the nation uh, the national and state governments and codify them into four codes and you know this the jury is still out on what exactly these labor codes look like because not all have been passed by parliament but these new labor codes note that there's a category of worker in india now called the platform worker or and the gig worker which means you know these companies have been big enough in their imagination to actually enter the industrial lexicon of labor laws except we find the term only appear in the code on social security was code on industrial relations and this has a pretty big implication for how labor laws sees what these workers are so uh, the social security bill you know states that platform workers should get social security from the state and most often that's in terms of payouts for food payouts for health but not necessarily that allow the governing of they don't allow fair working conditions to be part of what the government is stepping in to do to platform companies and to help platform workers so we're in a bit of a situation where these companies have a lot of power the state is also kind of accepting that these companies have power and the platform worker through these different kind of formulations is not really finding a voice anywhere in a covid world but possibly post the lockdown uh, what we've seen is that a lot of companies have tried to offer some form of social protection uh, and i think that's a term these days that's quite used quite loosely and and really poorly understood but a lot of companies have tried to crowd fund money that can be given to workers that fall sick um but don't really account for uh, the debilitating virus that they're being exposed to or the household expenses and the medical expenses that come with this and we've seen at the same time uh, a set of layoffs in a, la- a large part of these uh, hyperlocal firms uh, so ola uber zomato have all laid off a you know a fair share of their workforce their permanent workforce is the the professionals that run the apps that we see and we've seen you know to the tune of 5 to 13% of that workforce has been laid off between these companies and a lot of companies have said that the the teams that they're clearing out are the teams that actually interface with platform workers so you have an app that has very little bidirectional communication so the platform worker itself has no voice and agency in in any of the kind of you know working conditions they're under at the same time the people in companies that are responsible to speak to and manage the work of delivery people are being laid off and we'll only expect to see more kind of automation taking place in these kind of interactions so uh it seems that in the post covid world there will be perhaps more social protection from the state for a lot of these uh delivery people but really the jury's out on who will deliver fair working conditions and whether that's even a possibility given you know the kind of scenario that uh, shrinivas was uh, talking about at the beginning who gets to decide what communities need and what technology could be useful for them and most importantly who decides what sector of community benefits from what technology and how you know the, the need should come from communities themselves and and 
just you know thinking about the kind of services of the service sector in in the country which is you know one of the largest most growing sectors that lead our growth but equally employs so many of our people uh there are very clear forms of stratification at play within the service sector in terms of what kind of dignity is allowed to certain services to certain skill levels so when we have conversations about what de-skilling means uh, and what standardization means i think there between the interplay of those two words is to say a lot of the soft skills required to speak to middle class or elite customers are really what are going to start to be developed whereas the inherent skills or trades that are required that people have generally have uh, traditionally occupied or that have floated within their families to learn from are starting to go down so when you think about what the platform does i think the question really should come back to can we use the platform in any fashion to move against any of those forms of stratification and the kind of indignity that comes with certain kinds of that label can you actually uh, design those interactions and that's really the kind of challenge we should be looking at when she was talking about you know lazy tech being built i think these are some of the harder questions to answer and it really takes it to be a different set of creators or developers or different kind of logic that that can start to build this like quite simply you know there are really few repercussions for being a bad customer and over all on we don't even need to go into this but there could be so many more ways that we were penalized for just being rude or not wearing masks masks in cars and i actually don't see that 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 happening moving from the workers and the technologies in the next episode uvrashi aneja from tandem research will take us through the ethical legal and governance aspects of using these technologies Thank you for listening to this episode of Cyber Democracy. You can listen and subscribe to the show on our website sunoindia.in or any podcast app of your choice.